0: The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network, and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Deep Space Nine episode, Rejoined. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel is Jimmy Akin. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, be sure to get your very own Secrets of Star Trek t-shirt or other merch that you can get uh, our design on by visiting sqpn.com slash merch. And I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Stargate. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Stargate. So we are talking this time about the fourth season episode Rejoined from DS9. Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens?
1: This week, Deep Space Nine takes a walk on the wild side. Lenara, a Trill who's host to one of the Dax symbiont's former wives, comes aboard. And the question is whether Jadzia Dax will become romantically involved with her and thus violate Trill rules against reassociation, a practice that carries a sentence of exile and an effective death sentence for the symbiont. The answer is that Dax does reassociate with the woman, giving Star Trek its first same-sex on-screen kiss. But after an experiment goes horribly wrong, Lenara is almost killed and Jadzia must rescue her. Afterwards, Jadzia wants to fully reassociate, knowing that it will mean exile and eventual death for the symbiont, but Lenara isn't prepared to make that sacrifice, and she goes back to Trill, leaving Jedzia heartbroken.
0: The end. So um, let's talk about our overall impressions first, and then we'll get into the, the nitty gritty. Um, overall impression of this episode? Meh, it's there. It's, you know, um,
1: it's really obvious. Where this is going from the beginning, as soon as they as soon as they introduce Lenara Khan, who's on the station for research into trying to make artificial wormholes, um, and that she as soon as they explain that she's the carries the symbiont that was inside the body of a former wife of one of Jadzia's former selves and they explain the reassociation taboo, it's really clear everything that's going to happen in this episode. They do it in a kind of stepwise way. I was, you know, if, if you know these two characters are going to end up together, you, you know, that needs to proceed in steps from a writing perspective. You don't have people meet and immediately fling themselves into each other's arms. So there needs to be a stepwise progression, and it needs to take a considerable amount of time. It's obvious from really early on that Jedzia and Lenara are interested in each other, but they're able to build in more steps than I thought they 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 might have. I can imagine other TV shows not having as, much, as many steps in the buildup as we got here. So from a writing perspective, I thought that was well constructed. It's obvious that we're not adding a new character to the show, a new major character. It's obvious that we're not going to have uh one of our main characters, Jadzia, be exiled and and, and die for this you know, have the symbiont die at the end of Jadzia's life. So um I mean they could do that, but they're not likely to. Uh, they could always leave us in that situation and then redeem it later. You know, just like they had bad stuff happen to Wharf that they then redeemed later. But they're unlikely to do that. And so what that tells us is, you know, especially since we're not adding a new main character, there's going to be some kind of, we've got to have some kind of dramatic ending. One of them is, so we're going to need some kind of crisis. So obviously one of the experiments that Lenara is working on is going to go bad. And that's going to endanger Linara. Jed Z is going to have to come to the rescue. And that's going to force their feelings about each other to the surface. So they can't pretend anymore in the wake of this accident. How they really feel is going to come out. And how they're really going to feel is Lenara's going to leave because she's not going to be a main character in the show going forward. So it is all quite predictable. Some of it was well constructed from a writing perspective, but it was all quite mm-hmm. predictable. It was kind of paint by numbers. It's a yeah. Uh, there a- were just there were more numbers than I thought there were going to be, which was <laughs> yeah. was was good. Yeah,
0: yeah. But this was going to be, this is a forty forty eight minute circle. Let's leave everyone back where they were at the beginning uh, at the end of this episode, sort of. thing. Yeah. it makes me wonder: was this whole thing constructed for the kiss? I mean, was that the whole point? No. no.
1: no. So the idea originally. Now you know. Uh, To confront the um, unicorn in the room, Um, this episode, you know, is viewed through the lens of modern LGBTQ plus politics. And, And it's easy to look at this episode and say the whole thing is about the kiss. Actually, that's not true. When the episode was originally written, the character of Lenara was a man. Yeah, and so in the first draft of the script, this was not had nothing to do with LGBTQ plus stuff. This was about just a straightforward thing about okay, Jedzia has this history. What would happen if one of her? You know, she's been uh, both sexes. She's been both a husband and a wife in the past. What it? What if? What if uh, one of her former Cell's spouses effectively showed up now and how would she feel about that what would happen and and they had they hadn't really firmly established it on screen yet this is where it really kicks in but there's this rejoining reassociation taboo in trill society which they kind of explain here as the whole point of having the host implanted in someone is so that it can have different experiences and grow over its lifetimes. And if it just hung out with the same person lifetime after lifetime, that wouldn't happen. So it's viewed as unnatural for uh, an implanted host to constantly associate with other implanted hosts that are the same. That's the on-screen explanation they gave us. I actually thought they had a better one. If you look at Memory Alpha, where they talk about the -the behind-the-scenes reasoning for the taboo, if you had a society where you have this elite group of joined trills and they do nothing but hang out with each other lifetime after lifetime, they're going to become an aristocracy. Mm. And it's going to mess up that society where you have this entitled aristocracy that fe- that is focused in on itself and not benefiting the broader society. And so in order to keep that from happening hosts are not allowed to hang out with other hosts lifetime after lifetime and or uh, symbionts are not allowed to hang out with the same symbionts lifetime after lifetime and it's like okay that's not our culture but that there's some logic there i can buy that Mm. but it was the show originally was all about that it wasn't it wasn't about same-sex stuff and then as ron moore was driving home even though he wasn't the main author of this episode as he was driving home he said you know this episode would be a lot more interesting and stand out a lot more if Lenara was a woman rather than a man. And he's right. I can imagine this episode with Lenara as a man, and it would be much less compelling than it is, because given that Trills change sex with different incarnations, adding the complication of, okay, now not only is this the current host of of a, of a former symbiont you used to be associated with, but now they're the same sex as you, that adds another layer of, of of complication for the human viewer. And it it does make it a more interesting episode. It also is going to make it a more controversial episode. And it was controversial at the time. And a lot of people, including some of the families of the writing staff, said you should have put in at a minimum you should have put in a parental guidance notification at the front of the episode because this same sex kiss comes out of nowhere in term I mean you can predict it's coming if you think like a writer but but parents sitting down to watch this with their children in the 1990s deserved a warning you know so they could consider do they want do they want this imagery coming into their house in front of their children you know it, it, or not and frankly there should be parental warnings like that today
0: i remember um, in the documentary that we mm-hmm. talked about about the uh the 20th and 25th anniversary of deep Space nine ira mm-hmm. bear one of the producers right kind of lamenting that they didn't go further that they yeah. should have you know and it's like it's a, I, it was I a like, much I like, different time <laughs> i like
1: ira bear as a writer but this is this is this is uh but he's a hollywood liberal. Yeah. And and he's an intelligent guy and he's a good writer. But um but this doesn't need to be about politics. What I found interesting was the spokespeople for the show, you know, the writing staff and the producers and so forth and the and the actors seemed to want to have it both ways when talking about this episode. It's like on the one hand they were saying, "Oh, this has nothing to do with with gay stuff." This is this is all about trills. Yeah, so they're they're minimizing the the gay politics aspect of it. But then they'll turn around and talk about how bold and everything it was. Okay, so now you're accepting credit for the gay aspects of it. And I thought it was a little they're risking a little bit of hypocrisy there. Yeah. Trying to both distance and claim credit. But, you know, it it it's it's nowhere near as as intense as modern shows on this where even though people who are lgbtq plus are a you know less than five percent of the population they're way more than five percent they're just they're on every show now
0: right right
1: which is unrealistic so uh, you know it would be like if there was a you know sudden decree in hollywood that every show no matter when or where it's set must have eskimo characters you know right. is, um but that's not realistic and well and neither is this um but it's you know it whatever it's it's not as not
0: as intense as things are now i do agree that this would be nothing more than really a basically average episode if it would been yeah, if if Khan had been a man, in, yeah, it would, it would be been, very very forgettable. Yeah, uh, unremarkable. You know, I mean, just you know, oh, an interesting little bit of color in of Dax's background, examining Trill society. Yeah, and we get several episodes throughout the, the the seasons of looking at Dax's previous hosts, and we have one about the the the, the crazy one, the, the murderer, the, the, the murderer. Yeah, um, and then we get the funny one where. She transfers the, the consciousness, and we get Quark mm-hmm. being the female <laughs> previous host. There is a, I, I mean, there, there is a couple of problems I find with the way they've constructed this, which is. So one of the things that we that I have to deal with, and maybe I don't know if you do, which is separating the concept of multiple incarnations of, of Doctor Who mm-hmm. from the way that this works, because Doctor Who is the same person, just. Changing personality and mind, whereas with extreme this, it's, makeover, it's two people yeah. who are blending mm-hmm. and and that and it's only the symbiote that remains the same. And I'm I, I've struggled with the idea of, you know, the attraction remaining, despite the fact that the hosts are two completely different people that mm-hmm. sure, maybe maybe so the the symbiote ha- retains some emotions. Mm hmm. But that it would be so strong that you can't separate it from yourself because they often talk about other previous hosts very separately. Uh, you know, I just, it's kind mm-hmm. of a odd thing.
1: Well, the hosts are separate, but if you imagine, so the original host that that um, that the Dax symbiont had in this situation was a guy named uh, Tarius. and I forget the name of. The, the Lenara Khan's host, the, what the Khan symbiont's host was at the time. Let's call her Susan. Yeah. And so you've got Torias marries Susan, but at the same time, Dax is marrying Khan. And even though Torias and Susan are gone, Dax and Khan remember being united in matrimony to each other. And that's gonna color how Jadzia and Lenara feel about each other. Because Dax and Khan have memories of each other and being, you know, in love with each other and committed to each other, and that's gonna bleed through into the consciousness of Jadzia and Lenara. They also um address the issue you raise, which is Jadzia and Lenara notice actually Jadzia and Lenara are way more compatible with each other than Tarius and Susan were. Um, right. You know, Tarius and Susan loved each other, but they had some notable personality differences that created some difficulties for them, and we don't have those differences.
0: Right. I suppose the more apt analogy in another sci-fi franchise is Stargate and the Tok'ra, mm-hmm. where we actually have similar circumstances where yeah. – uh, Carter and I don't know the 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 dude. Uh, the t- dude Martoof, right? <laughs> Such a funny name. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they their symbionts knew each other before. You know the, it and so there was some, there was still some att- attraction that re- retained. But I think there was also attraction between the hosts, Carter and Martouf's. You know the the the, mm-hmm. the the dude, the human. So. Yeah, I just can't. I have a hard time, you know, with the idea that, you know, that the you'd have to have you'd have to be some predisposition, I guess, in the in the attraction. So maybe that that's the thing. I don't know. It, what, and it's what, different cultures, different you know alien species.
1: Yeah. One of the things I've never really gotten about trills is their obsession with symbionts. Because I can imagine a society where, like, you have a genuinely conjoined set of species that have co-evolved together, and every trill has a symbiont, and every every symbiont has a trill. I can imagine how that would work. What I have a much harder time imagining is a society with vastly more trills than symbionts, who... It's like, how how does the psychology of this work? You're, I don't have a problem with the blending stuff. Why would Trill's care about symbionts so much they would want to subjugate an individual Trill's life to the service of a symbiont, which is what happens. You know, Jadzia is a servant of 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 Dax. You know, it's right. like, Everything I do has to be I train for years to become a host and then I become a host and everything about my life is is oriented around this host and I'm just a custodian and I'm gonna pass on the host and it's gonna live the host is gonna live on after me and take other people and I'm just here for a moment. Okay. This is really dehumanizing. Now acknowledging trills are not humans, why would you do this? As a society, what benefit yeah. does it bring to your society? It's like you're worshiping these symbionts.
0: Well, that's what I was going to say. Anthropologically, you would think that the symbionts would be revered as sort of god-like creatures. Yeah, you would. And that, this is like the, go old stuff. And then the 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 conjoined uh, trills would have been revered as gods. I mean, mm-hmm. not just as oh, you know, uh, other members of the society. So. You would think that it, this whole enlightened thing about about them, and maybe they used to be I don't think that ever came up. maybe they were used to be revered as gods, but there is a whole religious aspect to the whole process we, we've seen right up to discovery's time um this this religious aspect to it, the spiritual aspect that they that they embody it um Yeah, it is kind of, it is a whole weird thing, the Trill thing. I mean, right from the beginning in TNG, when we had that episode where we we first see Trill, Mm -hmm. this idea of changing bodies and being a different person and um, the alien awkwardness of it. I can imagine as a writer, that's an interesting sci-fi writer. Mm -hmm. This is gold, right? This this sort of strange alien and jedzia and later Ezri are great characters i love
1: yeah. jedzia i love Ezri. they're among my favorite characters but they're normally not operating in a context of trill society and right. whenever you put them in a context of other trills all of a sudden this see, this starts to get really weird and hard to believe
0: i mean this is one of the questions i, I was thinking about during this episode is how much of the host remains you know, mm-hmm. this was this was a nothing st- of the host remains. <laughs> right, this was a Stargate question, but it's a question right here. I mean, obviously, a lot of Jadzia is here in this in this character, you know, of the original host. But what must it be like to be this? What, what is their day to day life like? Do they have multiple thoughts going on at once or do they think as one? You know, the uh, how much agency and control does the symbiont have over the host and vice versa? It seems to
1: vary sometimes this the symbiont seems more like just a passenger, but sometimes it seems to be more than just a passenger,
0: yeah, yes so i I kind of wish they'd 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 have explored more of that where instead of we're getting lots of talk about the taboo and reassociation and really this episode's focus on trill society was was more about. Breaking taboos we mm-hmm. we you know or whether we can or not, and I feel like they lost that opportunity to kind of explore the nature of combined trills that that I find that interesting and kind of disappointing that they've never really explored that. I mean we've got a little bit in more recent discovery, but then they've kind of messed that up with the stuff that they've done with the trill characters that kind of muddied the waters. Almost literally, in the sense of how that works. Yeah, um, you're talking
1: about things that aren't part of my universe because I stopped watching Discovery. So right,
0: well, and to, to to you didn't miss anything as far as the trill stuff goes because mm. they've really kind of messed up the whole trill question and and not really cleared anything up. Um. So yeah, and and like I said, whose emotions would be running the trill? <laughs> you know, the, the the these two people kind of weird. So um, as far as the episode itself goes, there's some fun little bits uh, that we learned that Dax is a close-up music, uh, magician um, mm-hmm. from a previous host. And so we get a little bit of Dax doing some magic. I wonder if, I don't think I ever saw whether Terry Farrell was actually doing. Yes. Was she doing it on she, set?
1: Both she and Alexander Siddig had to learn to do magic tricks for
0: this episode. That's kind of awesome. <laughs> um, so that was good. I, I did like that. Um, They did spend there was a a couple obvious moments where they're trying to explain how things work to Quark. Like Quark is the dummy who needs things explained Mm -hmm. as a stand in for the audience. And so that was kind of a really awkward, obvious. Let's explain to the audience what's going on Mm -hmm. moment. And I don't know, it felt. Felt like it kind of stopped the episode <laughs> at those points to to well, do that
1: certainly in when they're now when quark is guessing how the magic tricks are done well, i yeah. didn't I didn't have a problem with that it, it, and in it, yeah. in fact his his i i thought that was some you know effective low level comedy sure um and and he is you know some he's some of some of his guesses are actual tricks magicians use. Um, you swallowed this and then regurgitated it on context. Well, sometimes magicians do that. (laughs) Um, Or you had it transported inside your mouth. Okay, there's a Star Trek explanation for a magic trick that would work then, but wouldn't work now. So that was nice. I did Um, like that. But then when when they're explaining to him about Trill Society as an audience surrogate, it's a little implausible since A, it's his job to know his customers. And B, he's got the hots for Jadzia.
0: Right. He's he should already know her. all this. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Uh so we have a scene of uh this like r- this uh reception where they're first, you know, welcoming Lenara and her brother and the rest of the trill team aboard, and Jadzia goes and uh Cisco throughout is trying to give her an out to to hey, take a vacation, go off mm-hmm. the station, go somewhere else. And uh I was amazed she's got
1: three months of vacation accrued because it's like, wow, I don't get to accrue that much where I work.
0: <laughs> Starfleet, they're <laughs> they very enlightened. A, they put a <laughs> cap on it. <laughs> <laughs> I think in the military you actually can keep accruing. I don't I'm not sure. Mm. Um uh, there is a nice moment in the uh reception where Worf gets gets probably the best line of the episode, mm-hmm. which is, you know, uh what a, what a Klingons dream about things that would send cold chills down your spine and wake you in the middle of the night. No, it's better that you do not know. And he excuses himself, and they're like, I can never tell when he's joking. And I, I, I like awesome.
1: that, <laughs> that they pointed that out because Michael Dorn delivered it in a way
0: this could be a joke, but maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it really kind of matches up with the Wharf we saw in th- season three of Picard who kind of had that dry, he was more humorous. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Wharf. Got a little funnier as time went on. Is early on in TNG, he was so oh, humorless. Yeah, <laughs> he was like a wooden board. Uh, but at, by this point, he's starting to loosen up a little bit, and I did I did like that aspect.
1: I prefer pacifism now,
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, Klingon version, anyway. Yeah. Uh, then we have uh, Bashir. Kind of gets an, a a bit of a funny moment with the the dinner where he ha- acts as the chaperone. Um, oh, yeah,
1: he can't wait to get out of that dinner. <laughs> They're just going on about their anecdotes of their former lives and their memories, and Bashir is visibly bored and cannot wait to leave.
0: I don't know about you, but I've been in that situation where I've been, mm-hmm. you know— uh like say with my wife and an old friend of hers comes to town mm. and we go to dinner and they spend the entire time telling stories that I have no idea what, what they're about. And I just mm-hmm. nod politely and laugh politely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm sure she's had the same thing with me, I guess, but uh, yeah, I think a lot of people can identify with Bashir there. I, I have a
1: flip side of that. I am not a social butterfly at all. I'm, I'm, I'm great with people I know, you know, but if I'm in a situation where I have to make small talk, It's like I cringe. I I can perform if I have a job to do, if I'm here to give a talk or call a dance or whatever. I have no problem with that. But if I'm in this awkward, unstructured social situation where with people I don't know and I have to make small talk, it's very uncomfortable for me. And one of the worst is planned dinners. Mm. Where you're sitting, you're it I I have frequently have been assigned the role of okay, you're sort of the captain of this table oh. because you're the celebrity of this table, and so there are gonna be nine other people sitting around you. And what you have to do in that situation is you have to make sure you interact with each one of the nine people sufficiently so that they feel like they got, you know, what they came for. They got to interact with you and so you have to devote time to each person you have to even if they're shy you have to draw them out of their shell and make them you know give them the interaction that that they want to have and you need to do it in a way that that feels natural for them and you also have to regulate the flow of conversation of everybody at the table because some people are talkers and some people are not and if you let the talkers dominate then you're going to – the people at the table who are not talkers are going to have a bad experience. And so yeah. you need to make it a good experience for everybody, and you have to find polite ways of redirecting the conversation to, to not let the talkers dominate and draw the shy people out of their shells so they get experience too, they get interactions too, without making the talkers feel like you're snubbing them. And it's this incredibly complex ecosystem that you've been tasked with managing as the as the table captain, and yeah. it's like, yeah, I can't wait to get out of that.
0: <laughs> some people thrive on that. Oh, that just gives me the chills. Just that. I've had to moderate like tables like that mm-hmm. of tables of strangers, mm-hmm. and and very similar circumstances, and it's oh so stressful. I mean, some people are naturals at it. Some, but man, I am not. <laughs> it sounds like you're not either. Well, I
1: can do the calculations. I can do it successfully. It's just a, it's just stressful to have to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, a, a key part of this story is um Lenara's brother and their colleague, another Trill scientist, who are suspicious, and they're not wrong. They mm-hmm. they, they they have good cause to be suspicious because Lenara and Jedzia are doing exactly. What they're not supposed to be doing from the get go, from that reception, they start flirting and it just goes on and on from there. Um, Why would you go to DS9 for this particular thing if this taboo is in place? That's really actually a question. Like, why DS9?
1: Okay, so I think, I assume that one of the reasons they came to DS9 is there's an, although they never pay this off, is there's a natural wormhole there. Yeah. And so maybe there's some quality to the space here that makes it suitable for this kind of research or maybe they can do a quick study on the natural wormhole at, to get reference data for the artificial one they're going to construct. But it's not really clear why they need to come here for. That's just my supposition. They mm-hmm. never make it clear why do they need to come to this station to do their wormhole research. It appears though that they're not really aware that Jadzia is going to be here. And in fact, she almost wasn't, because at the beginning of the episode, Cisco invites her to take a vacation, and she, she refuses and says, no, I can handle this. And then when they show up, they're doing introductions, and the team leader doesn't seem to know about the connection between Lenara and Jadzia. Right. So it seems like this is coincidence, which is sometimes regarded as a cheap writing device.
0: <laughs> so one one bit of subtlety to the writing that I found was as the episode goes on, it's from the beginning, Lenara refers refers to um Nilani. That's the previous host. Um So Susan is Nilani. okay. Yeah. She refers to her as a separate person, and Jed Z refers to Tarius as a separate person. But as the episode goes on they start referring to themselves as their previous hosts. You know, like, I had these feelings for you, and mm-hmm. you had these feelings, and the the identity, instead of Tarias felt, and Nalani felt. And so I felt that was a nice, uh, subtle way of showing the change in the characters as the episode went on. So I thought mm-hmm. that was a pretty good little uh, device that they used mm-hmm. in the writing. Um, I also like the fact that Dax, in her agony over her feelings, what to do about her feelings, never once considers whether Nalani actually is willing to pay the price of the taboo that that Jadzia is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get that surprise ending, which, which, I mean, as you say, it's not so much of a surprise, but it's a surprise to Jadzia that she confesses her feelings and Nalani says, yeah, I'm not willing to go that far. This was nice, but not that nice. I thought that was a. If they had to, you know, end up where they started in in the writing, you know, of the characters, that was an interesting way to do it is to have Jedzia be kind of blind to this. Mm -hmm. Because Dax is always so Kurzan, oh, he's the most worldly, the smartest, the wisest in the room. Except in this case, Dax was not. Uh, So I thought that was pretty good. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Jedzia is. Into a headspace where, and I was watching something else this weekend that had kind of the same thing about it. Of, of there's There's kind of a commitment dare or emotion dare that sometimes comes up in relationships like this. It's like, if you felt about me the way I feel about you, you would do this. And it's like, okay, you're thinking only from your own perspective there. You're, you're effectively daring the person. It's like, you don't love me if you don't do this. Um, yeah, yeah, um, okay. Emotional blackmail sometimes works, but usually not in the long run. Yeah. Uh, you kind of got to let the butterfly go and do what it's going to do. And, um, and, and you, you shouldn't be blackmailing people into, into a relationship with you. (laughs) kind of the pinnacle of that is um, that old 1950s rock song That'll Be The Day That You Die, the Buddy Holly song I don't know if you ever thought about the lyrics I mean it's a catchy song but okay so that'll be the day that you say goodbye, that'll that'll be the day that you make me cry that'll be the day that I die you're (laughs) threatening to commit suicide if this person leaves you that is emotional blackmail of the Mm. highest order. And it's like, this is a severely
0: dysfunctional relationship. Get counseling now. (laughs) I suppose I thought of it as that'll be the day I like a die emotionally, but that's still blackmail. That's still emotional blackmail. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I I wondered at some point, this never explicitly said, so it's maybe a bit of headcanon, whether Nalani, no, whether Khan, the, the symbiont, wanted Dax to feel some of the loss that Nalani felt when Tarius died, Mm -hmm. that whether this was maybe a bit of subconscious emotional Uh, revenge. revenge. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So to explain that, uh, Tarias was a shuttle pilot and uh, died in a shuttle accident and Nalani had not wanted Tarias to go on the flight that ended up killing him and warned him against it, and he dismissed her and went on it anyway. And so at one point, Jadzia apologizes to Lenara, saying Nilani was right, that he shouldn't have gone on that flight. And and there is a sense that I got as well that Lenara wanted Jadzia to feel some loss commensurate with letting her letting the Dax symbiont experience loss comparable to what the Khan symbiont felt when Torias died.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not alone in that. So I, yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. That's, it's an interesting idea and, and again, gets a little bit to the nature of the trill in, in that sense. Um, so for me, the best part of the story, frankly, is Cisco. He's, mm-hmm because he's such a good friend. He tells Dax, you're wrong to take this risk. <laughs> you're wrong. But mm-hmm. if she's willing to make the sacrifice, he'll be with her the whole way. So, you know, he tells her what's right and wrong and says, but I'm your friend and I'm with you to help you when things fall apart, <laughs> basically. Mm-hmm. And so he's there. So I, I really like Cisco in that. It's one of the reasons why I feel like consistently Cisco is the best captain in mm-hmm. Star Trek, for me, mm-hmm. is he always he's the best best friend. He's the best father. He's the you know, he, you know, he's consistently good at these things. He's not flawless, as we see in the pale moonlight. But um, but yeah, I really this really highlights some of Cisco's best uh, aspects.
1: I like the line where he's he's Jedzia has come to him and asked his advice and he starts giving it to her and and saying what you're doing is wrong. You're you know, you're violating your principles and stuff. And she says, I didn't come here to get lectured. And he says, no, you came here to get advice from a friend. And that's what
0: I'm giving you. (laughs) Yes. By the way, I should point out uh, Avery Brooks directed this episode. Yeah, Uh, he did. Yeah. So um, I was watching
1: his directing choices with that in mind. And he does a few interesting things.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Normally, I don't notice direction at all. That's an area uh, that I just don't focus on unless they do something really dramatic. Like, what's with all these Dutch angles? (laughs)
0: <laughs> but right. Right. yeah like if you're a uh, m night shimilan you can always tell it's a, it's one of his because he does all the the particular things or uh jj abrams and the uh, lens flares lens flare <laughs> now i think he's just he's just punking us with that um any other thoughts on this episode that's all my notes um there was a line in the final conversation
1: between dax and khan which It struck me as a mirror image of the end of Casablanca because, so in Casablanca, the question is, is Ingrid Bergman's character going to stay in in Casablanca with Humphrey Bogart's character, or is she going to get on the plane and devote her life to the man who's high up in the French resistance and fighting the Nazis? And here, the question is, is Lenara going to stay on Deep Space Nine, or is she going to get on the transport to go back to Trill? And that's going to reveal—so you have this similar situation of this woman has this question of, do I get on this transport or not and leave? And what does that say about where my true romantic feelings are? And, and Jadzia has just spelled it out. For Lenara, that I think if you get on that ship and go back to Trill, you're you're probably never going to come back. And you don't really feel the way about me that I do about you. There's our little blackmail element. And so at one point uh, in that conversation, Jedzia says, quote, if you feel about me the way I feel about you, you won't get on that transport tomorrow, close quote, which is sort of the inverse of. Of what Humphrey Bogart says to Ingrid Bergman at the end of Casablanca: "If that plane leaves and you don't, you'll regret it. Maybe not today or tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life." So Humphrey Bogart is telling the lady to get on the plane, despite the fact she loves him. And Jadzia is telling the lady to to not get on the transport because she loves him. And it it i knowing enough about how influential casablanca is in hollywood film theory classes i can't help but wondering was this a deliberate choice on the part of the writers were they deliberately alluding to that scene
0: i mean bogie is making the self sacrifice mm-hmm. of love yeah whereas jedzie is
1: just being selfish
0: so the selfish act of uh, you know of her expressing her love which is interesting. So yeah, that is an interesting inverse. Um, you know where yeah uh, to, to see the two the two sides of love. There's a love that wants to possess and can't let go, and the love that knows by letting go, you're actually showing true love. Uh, and that's that's really you know what's the mm-hmm. best for the other. And right, and that's the other Bogie thing. Bogey was Jed's, right.
1: Bogey was right, and Jedzia was not.
0: Exactly. Jedzia <laughs> doesn't want what's best for. either her or lenara because or or death yeah yeah that's true that's true um so yeah good catch on that anything else nope all right and we'd like to wrap things up by taking a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of star trek including thomas v jody f brian s bob l and leonides s Their generous tax-deductible donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest, and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. What did you think of this Deep Space Nine episode, Rejoined? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, send an email to trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com Discord. You can watch The Secrets of Star Trek on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia and we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Voyager episode The 37s. Until then, Jimmy Akin, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, Klingons dream about things that would send cold chills down your spine and wake you in the middle of the night. It is better that you do not know.